Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Christian Israel, the uh, true Anglo-Saxon Israel, the true descendants of the Israelites of Scripture. Um, today we're going to be discussing the Joseph Scepter heresy, the teaching that uh, Jesus is not descended from Judah through David, uh, and uh, that uh, some people believe that he is actually descended through Joseph. Uh, this, in my opinion, contradicts much scripture, and uh, although there is a, uh, how should I put it, a, a good motivation behind it, because uh, the people who teach this falsely believe that the Jews are the tribe of Judah, and since they believe that the Jews are the tribe of Judah, they want to try to show that Jesus is not descended through Judah in order to prove that Jesus is not a Jew, okay? So the motivation is good. But the logic is wrong, and that's what we're going to discuss. Uh, we're going to wait about a half an hour. Bill Fink and I are going to discuss that issue. Uh, right now, I'm expecting a call from Reverend Ted Pike, who is going to uh, discuss the new hate bill legislation that's, uh, again, before Congress. It seems like every January, the international Jew uh, tries to pass uh, this hate bill legislation, that uh, we aren't allowed to uh, have a free speech anymore, and uh, therefore uh, any kind of uh, bad speech or any um, actions intended in their eyes to hurt uh, either Jews or gays or blacks or what have you, so-called minority groups, and folks, the white race is becoming a minority as we speak, so maybe we'll qualify for uh for hate speech legislation pretty soon and uh so you know it works it cuts both ways folks we can take advantage of uh, this lousy legislation ourselves and uh so uh, i'm expecting reverend ted pike to call in shortly to uh to discuss this bill but uh, let me just get into uh the document that he's put out uh emergency alert hate bill introduced into congress by reverend ted pike the federal hate crimes bill was reintroduced Wednesday by Representative Sheila Jackson Lee. It is now titled the David Ray Hate Crimes Prevention Act of 2009, H.R. 256, and is a condensed version of the longer Local Law Enforcement Hate Crimes Prevention Act, H.R. 1592, which failed to gain final approval from Congress last year. Jackson Lee also submitted a new companion bill, the David Ray Richardson Hate Crimes Prevention Act of 2009, H.R. 262. This bill will permit federal involvement in states to prevent hate crimes and assist hate crimes victims. Okay, so in other words, uh, the hate crimes victims are never white people unless, of course, they are um, homosexuals. <laughs> and I don't know if they want to count women, you know, crimes against women, uh, uh, rape can be defined as a hate crime, too. And just about any crime can be defined as a hate crime because most crimes are committed, you know, in, in the heat of passion, except for cold-blooded, you know, uh, hits by the mob. Usually uh, crimes like this where people are killed involve a certain amount of hate. So just all this silly talk, uh, in, in my opinion, it's just plain silly. Uh, Reverend Pike, are you there? Yes, I am. Thanks okay. for having me. Yes, and, and welcome to the show. And um, tell us about it. And you've been 
campaigning against this legislation for many years, and, uh, and I commend you for all the work you've been doing to counter this effort. Why don't you give us a little bit of history of this hate crimes legislation here? Well, to, to understand all forms of hate crimes legislation, especially the big federal hate crimes bill now before Congress, we need just a little history lesson. Um, the Anti-Defamation League of B'nai B'reth is, mm-hmm. is the architect of hate crimes legislation worldwide. Right. In, uh, in 1971, they, after about 10 years of lobbying, they were able to per- persuade a parliament to enact their federal hate crimes bill, and that uh, became the Section 319, the, the National Hate Crimes Law of Canada. Okay. Now, they, at that time, ADL argued to these legislators that this bill would in no way ever threaten free speech. It was uh-huh. an attempt to end violent bias and hate crimes on the provincial level, and uh, uh, no way would it uh, overflow its legal restraints and boundaries. It was meant to also to mm-hmm. quell violent hatred, uh, violence inciting hate speech, you see. And so they bought that line. They, they voted it into law. But very quickly what happened was that the liberal legislators, the liberal jurists in all of the provinces began to say, well, we need to do more than just protect homosexuals from physical violence. We need to protect them from verbal violence. Right. You know, you know those words, <laughs> those exactly. cunning words that come out of the Bible that say that homosexual is an abomination, That's homosexuality right. is an abomination, and so on. Yes. And so very quickly, this this supposedly restricted national law became a speech crime or a thought crime law in Canada. Right. So that right now in Canada. If you are on the airwaves, if you are a writer, if you are a pastor in a pulpit, even if you are a person on a street corner, if you criticize homosexuality in public, yeah. or if you criticize the Jews by saying the Jews had Christ cr- killed 2,000 years ago, mm-hmm. that's considered verbal violence, that's considered a hate crime. Right. And the uh, the preliminary uh, uh, fine is, is never less than $5,000. Wow. And if you repeat... If you repeat that offense from the pulpit or anywhere else for the rest of your life, you're facing contempt of court, and which means prison time. But isn't this totally contrary to the spirit of the First Amendment, which guarantees every American the right of freedom of speech? Absolutely, but they don't have the First Amendment in Canada. In Canada, right. Yeah, like the British system and continental system, they they are much more liberal in their their permission. No doubt. Yeah. So... uh, now, the, the the crucial factor right now, to remember, is that the same people, the same organization, which is ADL Benebrith, in in alliance with the homosexual uh, homosexual lobby and other liberal groups, the same group of people is trying to establish the same kind of law, essentially here for the United States of America. And this this I, I just announced it uh, Thursday. Uh, uh, Jackson Lee, Representative Jackson Lee of Texas, has just introduced the David Ray Hate Crimes Prevention Act. Okay. This is a condensed, shorter version of H.R. 1592, which was the big House federal hate bill mm-hmm. uh, that was actually didn't get passed last term of Congress. Good. <laughs> now, yeah, and uh, you know it was interesting. I was uh, I was talking to, at length, really, to uh, her legislative expert on the hate bill, and uh, he told me, quite frankly, that the uh, the criticism, the uh, 
that is coming from the religious right, conservative Christians, is mm-hmm. that, that hate laws take away free speech right. is now so pervasive in Congress that he has his doubts whether they can even pass the hate bill this time around. Praise Yahweh. Yeah. That, just, uh, that just astonished me. Mm-hmm. And, but what he said is that uh, the people behind the scenes, which of course is the ADL, yes. uh, are, are taking that contingency into account and they've created another hate bill, which Jackson, uh, Jackson Lee introduced. It's called uh, the David Ray Richardson. You shouldn't even think about criticizing a homosexual. There's Orwell, isn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's the David Ray Richardson Hate Crimes Prevention Act, which is a, ostensibly a softer attempt to invade states' rights yeah. by the federal government. And what they say is, this is for education and prevention of hate crimes. This <laughs> okay. means basically the ADL will have a free free federal license to come in and right. teach our kids in our schools the evil of homophobia. Yeah. Make absolutely sure they won't be prone to hate-motivated violence, on and on. You can just okay. imagine. Let me, let me kind of restate what you're saying here. So instead of trying to attack uh, freedom of speech, which uh, they admit is not going to work, what they want to do is institute more disinformation, more propaganda in the schools to, quote, unquote, educate our children <laughs> yes. to be pro-homosexual. Yeah, but even if they do, uh, and I should have mentioned also that the second bill, the contingency bill, H.R. 262, uh, also wants to give federal aid to hate crimes victims. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you, can't, you, can't you imagine all the homosexuals who claim right, lining up? They're lining up already. And, they're, they're, they've had to have psychiatric treatment because they've <laughs> right. heard words from the pulpit, all that kind of thing. They should have had that before they became homosexuals. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so anyway, this is, uh, he told me, this the legislative expert told me that they, they feel that the, the best chance maybe is in the second bill, if the first one doesn't pass, at least they have the foot of the foot in the door on right. the statewide level of federal, federal government being involved, mm-hmm. actively mm-hmm. involved in preventing hate crimes with federal money, federal endorsement, federal right. lawyers, federal police, everything there to prevent hate crimes, this, this huge national problem. Right. You know, by the way, I, uh, I have a, a quite a powerful 10-minute uh, video uh, that is being shown on YouTube now and so on. And uh, if people would like to listen to that 10-minute video. It's a real fast way that you and your friends can get a, an education on mm-hmm. hate laws. Anyway, in that video, I point out, that you know the ADL always comes out once a year and they say oh we have we have 7500 hate crimes in the United States the uh, the, mm-hmm. the government the FBI and their uniform crime report says this this is uh 300 uh, more than last year or whatever they say anyway uh 7500 hate crimes wow that sounds like a lot well but they're not they're, they're bogus hate crimes they are right. just words that homosexuals and Blacks and Chicanos bandy back and threats and sure. even fisticuffs and things like that. Not even not even two percent of these supposed hate crimes have been adjudicated mm-hmm. in a court of law. Yeah. Now, furthermore, you know, seventy five hundred sounds like a lot, but do you realize there's thirteen million uh, conventional crimes mm-hmm. every year in the United States? Right. That boils down to even if there were seventy five hundred hate crimes. That boils down to one fifteenth right. of one percent of crime in America. It's totally negligible, right? So yeah. this is a this is entirely smoke and mirrors. We exactly. don't have a national hate crime epidemic in America. Well, yeah, it reminds me. It's typical liberalism. The way they operate is to create a problem, 
yes. which doesn't exist, <laughs> or is there, and, and then uh, and create a national campaign against the non-existent problem, That's and right. an influence Congress to pass a, a restrictive uh, Orwellian legislation. Now, let me just point something out here, because two years ago when uh, Brokeback Mountain came out. And they're still making, you know, a big deal about Brokeback Mountain, you know, with two homosexual cowboys, all right? Uh And I wrote an editorial about that movie, and I showed that the average homosexual is ten times more likely to be injured or attacked by a fellow homosexual than he is by any heterosexual. Yes. Because their very lifestyle with all the drugs, with the uh, crazy sex, with the uh, and many of it is fetish sex, and, uh, you know, near-death sex, where they actually put a noose around each other yeah, and uh-huh. try to strengthen, and all of these crazy practices, they are ten times more likely to be harmed by their fellow homosexuals than they are by heterosexuals. Therefore, they should legislate against each other. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, this uh, this second bill will create a kind of a welfare class, welfare recipients of homosexuals yeah. beating, uh, who've, who've been beaten up by other homosexuals. Uh-huh, uh-huh, welfare uh-huh. Goal. Well, the important thing to remember is that both of these bills are are federal intrusions into states' rights matters, states' rights law enforcement, and so on. And this second bill is should be should be defeated because basically they're laying a foundation there for more federal involvement and meddling and all yeah. kinds of things. And that can be expanded through a, a subsequent enabling legislation and. and decisions from the from the bench on and on and on we just have to keep the hate crimes genie inside of its bottle mm-hmm. and continue to to trust and to rest in the uh, our traditional english law yes. which has which has basically done a good job for centuries okay well before we go on why don't you give people your contact info how they can find out uh, you know uh, how to get involved in this and you know how to contact their legislature uh, leg- etc yes you bet well, the uh, the place to come right now for your complete uh, educational program and fighting this hate bill is www.truthtellers.org. At truthtellers.org, we have a wealth of of information, uh, literature. Actually, we have a we have a brochure there, a flyer which can be printed uh, front and back online. You can print it off, take it to your coffee shop, and make hundreds of flyers. It's a very powerful little flyer, gives a, a powerful arguments against the hate bill, as well as quite a number of cases in Canada and European countries of people who have been fallen under the the sword of the hate crimes right. bureaucracy. Exactly. Uh, also, I mentioned earlier, we, we've just come out with a 10-minute video, fast-moving, hard-hitting mm-hmm. video. Uh, you can also just go to the homepage at truthtellers.org. Uh, uh, click on, and you can watch this 10-minute movie. In fact, you can link it to your friends. You can put it, I understand, on Facebook, MySpace, whatever, on the Internet, and get that out there. Get it working right now. Now, you, you, uh, what we have to remember is that we don't have too much time. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I was told by this legislative aide that with the stimulus package dominating Congress right now, it will be about three weeks before they really get Get in, start getting into high gear and pushing this, these two bills through yeah. the House Judiciary Committee. Yeah. Now, now I do have an article up at Truth Tellers, my my latest article explaining in detail how we defeated exactly how we defeated this bill last time around in okay. the 110th Congress and what you can do to make sure uh, 
is defeated again. This is Excellent. not conventional. We're not conventional lobbyists that say, well, just make your obligatory call to your member <laughs> of Congress. Right. No, we're saying what we did last time is we, we realized with a limited limited resources of, of the of listeners to largely alternative talk radio and the Internet, we were going to have to concentrate our firepower on the most influential opinion makers, decision makers concerning the hate bill in Congress. Mm -hmm. and, and those were the 40 members, Republican and Democrat, mm -hmm. of the House Judiciary Committee, okay. which, which was considering the hate bill, ah, you see. Right. And uh, so what we did is... For about so you have a list of those people? Well, we don't yet because it changes every oh. Congress. Oh, okay. I mean, about 20 new members of the judiciary will come in in a couple of weeks. Now, at that time, we will repeat what we did last last time so effectively. I'll get on the radio. I'll send out e-alerts. And by the way, everybody should sign up for our free e-alerts at Truth Tellers. This gives you the minute-by-minute -minute updates on exactly where we are in the hate bill fight. And so... Uh, uh, what I'll do in about uh, two weeks, probably, uh, just as soon as we get those 40 judiciary members, I'll post those at Truth Tellers, go back on the radio, I'll publicize it, and if you're getting our e-alerts, you can know immediately at that time, contact your pastor, your friends, your Christian conservative club or whatever, mm -hmm. and get on get on the phone, Make you spend, a, spend an hour or two just calling all 40 members of the judiciary. Now, this yeah. is very good for the liberals because it shows how unpopular the hate bill is. It's right. also very, very good for Republicans, uh, starting with the House Judiciary Committee, because yeah. last time around it gave them tremendous impetus and courage and inspiration to fight. And, uh, you know, in the previous Congress, uh, the Republicans sat by and not a single one of them spoke as the hate bill was passed in the House of Representatives. It passed in 45 mm -hmm. minutes. But right. a year later, a year later, we, we blitzed basically those same Republicans, and no less than 11 Republicans in the House Judiciary Committee sprang to their feet. Mm -hmm. they, they, uh, they demanded to water down the hate bill. They proposed 11 different amendments watering down the hate bill. Right. Of course, the Democrats and Con Representative Conyers dominated, and the hate bill did get passed through judiciary and through the House. Nevertheless, the, the courage and the inspiration we gave those Republicans radiated out through yeah. the House of Representatives and, and, and basically was very instrumental in, mm -hmm. in killing about five or six other pieces of, right. of Orwellian legislation in the last Congress. Right. Well, so, as, as you well know, you know, my ministry and yours as well uh, have focused to a large extent on uh, exposing Jewish-originated uh, uh, you know, limitations on our rights as Americans. Okay, and yes. one of the, and certainly the ADL is one of the major culprits in this organization. I, I know for a fact that the ADL uh, gave Hugh Hefner and Bob Guccione, you know, the Playboy and Penthouse, uh -huh. awards for freedom of speech. Okay, oh, yeah. and now they turn around, and so so according to them, pornography is freedom of speech. Yes. Okay. Now they want to say that anybody who criticizes the, uh, you know, the gay lobby and quotes the Bible, that cannot be freedom of oh, no. speech. Is, no, isn't that hypocrisy? Hate. Yeah, that's hate. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, uh, what we have to do is to be proactive. I mean, we can't uh, – I, I have stated that if uh, – the history shows that the – the people like Alexander the Great and Napoleon and so on, they, they won battles because they were 
They were proactive. They took the battle yes. to the enemy with contend with, for the faith <laughs> with, with vigor. And uh, and and so that's what we have to do here. We can't wait around for three or four weeks, five weeks now, until uh, this this bill has already gone through judiciary and onto the yes. floor of the House. That that's that's just madness. We have to get in there and very loudly let our members of Congress know that we are not going to stand for the same kind of legal system that, that has taken away free speech in Canada being established in the United States of America. Right, right. Yeah, and, and America is the last bastion of freedom of speech, the uh, last bastion of the rights of the citizens to bear arms against ty- tyrannical despots, <laughs> which we have a series of in both the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. And so, yes, if if Christians do not become proactive, this country is lost. That's right. And if if we lose our precious freedom of speech, then all, all our other freedoms basically will very quickly uh, go down the drain. So this is a pivotal moment in history. We have defeated yes. the hate bill five times in the last ten years, always against overwhelming odds. Mm-hmm. Always it seemed like there was no chance of success. But God and a small number of, of patriotic right. Americans joined with us in in making those calls. And I should also mention that uh, at truthtellers.org, we do have also the complete list, uh, the latest list of all members of Congress. Okay. And that includes the 100 members of the Senate. And I would, if you have limited resources or limited time, uh, I would uh, suggest that you call the members of the Senate. Mm-hmm. E- even though yes. the, the vote will come up first in the House, we are so overwhelmingly outnumbered in the House. Uh, and the real the real battle, I think, where we, we stand mm-hmm. a good chance of winning is in the United States Senate. Right. And, right. Uh, in fact, in the last, uh, last uh, year, uh, no less than four Democrats saw the light and came over mm-hmm. and voted against their hate bill colleagues, and they had been hate bill supporters before that. Outstanding. If, yeah, if we... Uh, you see, it's only the more hundred... money the Jews throw down the rat hole, the better. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we can only get, if we can get those four to again uh, vote against the hate bill, and maybe yeah. another two or three, and then get a couple of uh, turncoat Republicans to come over back over to reality, yeah. there's a good chance we can defeat it in in the Senate. Yeah. And uh, we okay. have to de- defeat both these bills, in fact. Well, I get your internet newsletters, and then as soon as you have that list of those of that congressional committee. Yeah, uh, that's a congressional committee you're talking about, right? Well, this is in the House of Representatives. The four, right. four, you see, every every piece of legislation has to go through the House, right? Having to do with, uh, yeah, the and then the votes go, on it, right? Has to go through uh, the House Judiciary Committee. Yes. Okay. And, so that committee, right? So as soon as you have that information, send it to me. I will forward it you, to you my committee. It'll, it'll, you'll hear about it. Believe yeah. me. That's our next <laughs> okay. big stage in this threat. Well, now, interestingly, you know, of course, in Illinois, we have a similar situation where the governasty, <laughs> Blagojevich, has just been impeached by the state house. Oh, okay. he has. Yes, he has. And now it's the state senate that was, is going to vote as to whether to have an impeachment trial or not, which I believe they will. Okay. Uh-huh. And so it's very similar to you know how Congress works at the national level. So uh, the House of Representatives has you know creates this legislation, and then the Senate votes on it. Yes. And so, yeah, so if you have that list of those senators, those are the people we should contact, yeah. Well, r- right now we do have the list of senators, and that, what I'm saying is for the next three, two or three weeks until 
all the new members of the House Judiciary Committee are seated, mm-hmm. an excellent use of people's time right. is to make those calls. And you don't have to do it all at once. Just mm-hmm. call a couple before you go off to work in the morning or whatever. And right. before you know it, you'll have all hundred. But uh, yeah. it's very important because... Uh, the, the Republican members of the Senate last year behaved very poorly. They did not come, except for Senator Orrin Hatch. They did not stand up and fight like they should have. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think one of the reasons right. they didn't was because everybody was first putting all their efforts into the House of Representatives, and the, the members of the Senate did not re- re- receive mm-hmm. the full force of public opinion. Yes. They didn't realize it was this important uh, issue. Okay. And, and I think also they wanted to go ahead and let the hate bill pass so President Bush could could have the glory yes. of uh, voting, uh, <laughs> uh, vetoing it. That oh, didn't yeah. work out too well. Uh, right, right. Yeah, so yeah, so what we're seeing here is uh, obviously the politicians want to be able to say, well, we passed it if it works out well, and then they want to be able to say, well, I didn't support it if it doesn't work out well. And so they're basically hedging their bets, you know. So uh, uh, our uh, position is that we have to be proactive and fight this right now. Well, that's uh, right. We can't take any chances. Right, right. Okay. Um, I'm going to have to some, – somebody's trying to call in, but there's just a lot of noise on the line. I'm going to have to mute that person. Okay. All right. So, uh, so uh, please continue, Reverend Pike. Uh, yeah, and uh, w- another thing we have to remember about the hate bill is that it's going to, if it's passed, it's going to follow the same pattern that we've seen in Canada. Mm-hmm. In in America, the ADL standard line, and you'll hear every every duped member of Congress telling you this back from their their offices. Oh, this is only a bill against violent hate crime. Right. You'll hear that again and again. People who call. They just get weary of this dumbed-down response from the members of Congress. The truth of the matter is that as soon as that bill is passed, then it's going to go the same route. You're going to have hate crimes cases, and then you're going to have judges judging on it in the courts, the the federal courts, the local courts, and they're going to make a law surrounding, embroidering the hate law, Mm -hmm. and inevitably these laws are going to broaden this law to become a speech crime law. Now, right. already, already, what we're seeing in the states mm-hmm. is that you see the ADL has persuaded 45 U.S. states mm-hmm. to adopt some version of its hate crimes law. Wow! And uh, back in 2004, many of our listeners are probably aware that uh, 11 Christians in Philadelphia were arrested by the district attorney uh, Lynn Abraham, Jewish. Uh, Head uh, uh, honcho of the ADL, actually right. was a national executive board member of the ADL. Right. She arrested them for the hate crime mm-hmm. of of witnessing the homosexuals and uh-huh. threatening, threatening threatening 47 years in prison, eighty thousand dollars fine, and on yeah. and on. She did put them in jail for 21 hours. Ah. This was this was all under the ADL's Pennsylvania mm-hmm. state hate law. You see. Yeah. Now there you have an example of. Uh, you, if you read the text of the Pennsylvania law, there are these these restrictions. You've got to have bias motivation coupled with some definable crime, etc. Yeah. She just threw that all out the window. She said, I'm going to go after these Christians. Yeah. I'm not going to worry about what's in the actual text of the law. <laughs> right. And so what is happening in the Testing states, the yeah. what, what's happening now already in the states is that the, these hate laws are overflowing 
overflowing their legal boundaries yes. and restrictions. Well, and, let me put it this way, Reverend Pike, that uh, a a speech law, a law that prevents you from saying certain things, is only a hair's breadth away from a thought crime. Oh, yeah, of course. This is Big Brother territory here. Uh, what is what is speech but a manifestation of your thought? That's right. Yeah, but e- even even now, uh, just just to illustrate how the states are beginning to play loose and free with hate crimes laws. Uh, this this past year, Governor Schwarzenegger in California uh, uh, signed SB seven seven seven, which made it a hate crime, a, an offense for any any person in the public school system of California, whether a student or a teacher, mm-hmm. to criticize homosexuality. Yes. Uh, students would be expelled, the teachers right. would be fired. Mm-hmm. And then similarly, over in Texas, uh, Governor Bill Ritter signed uh, SB 200, which uh, makes it a, a speech crime, a hate crime, to criticize homosexuality, especially in the businesses, business community and the literature and right. practices of the business community of right. Colorado. Now there's an example where you have you make criminals out of Bible believing Christians with no violation of any substantial law. Exactly. You no see? law. Exactly. No violation of any law. Really? No. Yeah. <laughs> just uh, just expressing their opinion. That's right. Yeah. And and if they can get away with that and, and continue this trend, what we'll see is that if we actually have a federal law with the tremendous prestige and empowerments of a federal law, there'll be no holding back. Us going into a basically a yes. two two justice system here. A, a, a we'll, we'll have the we'll have the old-fashioned English law for dealing with vandalism and car theft and mm-hmm. things like that. But we will also have a new bias orientation, bias sure. motivation justice system, which is running parallel to that. That's what we have it in Canada. They have the tribunal, hate right. crimes tribunal system, exactly, in which motivation is is everything as far as the criteria of whether right. you are guilty or innocent. And the motivation of the ADL is never ca- called into question. <laughs> no, of course not. No, well, Reverend fact, Pike, uh, I, I see we're just about at the end of the half hour, so why don't you give us your contact information one more time and uh, you know let people know you know exactly how they can help uh, you in this effort yes. to expose this ridiculous legislation. Well, I'll, I'll just quickly give you the, the two phone numbers to call immediately. Call your members of Congress. The toll-free number... To Congress is 877-851-6437, and the toll number is 202-225-3121. And you can just come to Truth Tellers on the Internet. We have all those numbers, videos, uh, we have literature, all kinds of resources to, to make sure this uh, never gets out of its bottle this time around. All right, fantastic. Well, I tell you what, uh, so when uh, when do you expect this vote to take place? Uh, maybe we could do another show after uh, after that, or, or maybe well, just before. Well, I, I would say probably we should do a show uh, when when we get the uh, when we get all 40 members of the House Judiciary intact mm-hmm. and seated. Okay. Then then we got an, another call for action at that time. So maybe you could get get yeah. in touch with me and. Uh, uh, we need a, another wave of, of motivation to get calls flooding into the right. uh, the House Judiciary. As far as okay. the vote, nobody knows the answer to that. Right, right. So we need to put a little firecracker on their on their seat. <laughs> All right, Reverend Pike. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much, okay. Eli. All right, bye bye. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Reverend Pike, for uh, alerting us to the, the fact that the Jews uh, they never rest. They've got so much money 
you know, from uh, the Rothschild uh, International Banking Operations, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank, et cetera, et cetera, that they can just create money to finance every piece of legislation they want to pass. And, con- and they, they, there's a constant state of war between the uh, international bankers under the Rothschilds, the ADL, all the Jewish uh, groups, uh, the Jewish hate groups, such as the uh, American Jewish Jewish Congress, the American Jewish Committee, all these other Jewish groups who are agitating ceaselessly to destroy Christian civilization. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to wake up your fellow Christians and let them know what's going on, that the Jews are not God's chosen people. They are the enemies of Christianity, and they will not rest until they destroy Christianity. And this is what's happening. This is the real motivation behind all these Jewish groups, okay? So uh, I'm going to now switch gears. And uh, when Reverend Pike called me, you know, I told him uh, we had a scheduled show today, so I I told him I'd give him the first half hour. And uh, so we've got uh, 120 minutes, and so we'll just go to the uh, next 90 minutes. And uh, so, Bill, I know you're in the chat room, so uh, feel free to call in at any time. And uh, please join us. I'm going to... uh, switch gears now from the subject that we were just discussing with uh, Reverend Pike, and uh, I, I want to let everybody know, uh, please uh, access the archives of our Saturday night shows, which and the number is uh, 21924, that's the Yahweh, Yahweh's Covenant People show, and we've been doing extensive, detailed analysis of uh, First Galatians and now the book of Hebrews. Let me just uh, quote here an email that was uh, sent to Bill from uh, Britain. Bill, I have just listened to the broadcast on Hebrews 4. I have never had anyone give such a detailed rendition of Scripture, of course, as addressed to Bill Fink, especially from the book of Hebrews. I was glad when Pastor Greg brought into the equation the keeping of the Sabbath, which I was taught years ago that this was indeed meaning of, the meaning of his rest, together with the millennial rule of Yahshua, Yahweh the Savior. I know the historist, historicists believe the millennial rule has already taken place in history. I'm finding it all very interesting, as I was in the worldwide Church of God for many years, who taught the Israel message, but of course they were confused as to who the Jews were. <laughs> they taught that the Jews were Judah, and today you have brought out the early history of the Pharisees, which is what we badly need because we have all been led down the wrong path. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, our broadcasts, our, ex- our explanations of Scripture, and how Scripture is to be understood, are having an effect. So please, access the Saturday night show, Yahweh's Covenant People, and myself, Bill Fink, and Pastor Greg have been using various translations of Scripture, including Bill's own translations, and uh, you know, we really get to the meat of the issue, folks. Uh, this is real Bible scholarship, and you're not going to get anything like this from your Judeo-Christian pulpit masters. <laughs> All right. So, Bill Fink, you're online. Hello, Eli. Praise Yahweh. Yeah, praise Yahweh. So today's subject is going to be the Joseph Scepter heresy, and uh, I want to preface the show by quoting from the uh, Book of Ruth. Uh, chapter 4, verses 12 through 22. And let your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, 
of the seed of which Yahweh shall give you of this young woman, of course, meaning Ruth. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went into her, Yahweh gave her conception, and she bore a son. Oops, I turned too many pages. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Let me flip back to, okay, verse 14. And the woman said, and the women said to Naomi, Blessed be Yahweh, which has not left you this day without a kinsman. Okay, so in other words, the offspring of Boaz and Ruth was a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be to you a restorer of your life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, which loves you, which is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse to it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they call his name Obed, and he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram fathered Aminadab, and Aminadab fathered Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz, and Boaz fathered Obed, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. So is there any possibility that this uh, genealogy given in the book of Ruth could in any way be contradicted in Scripture? No, because it's supported also by, by the Gospels, by the genealogies in the Gospels given by Luke and, and by Matthew. Mm-hmm. The, um, the genealogies in the Gospels clearly show that Joshua Christ descended from Judah, right? David, yes, yeah. The, so, yeah, go ahead. The Ephraim Skepter people, they twist the geography of Palestine as if that has anything to do with genetics in the first place. Right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> they accuse Matthew's genealogy of being wrong. They accuse Matthew of misquoting Micah five two at Matthew two six. Mm -hmm. They accuse John of being a liar in Revelations five five or. They twist the meaning of Revelations 5.5 5 into something that it can't possibly be. Okay, okay. And I think that they do this out of despite for the Jews because they have Judah and the Jews confused. Right. They have so they they hate the Judah, truth. even though many of them are probably descended from Judah. That's right. They hate Judah because they think Judah is a Jew. <laughs> right. And therefore they have invented this twisted theology called the Joseph Scepter Heresy. That's what we're calling it anyway. Let me quickly turn to Matthew chapter 1. The book of the generation, which means genealogy or descent. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now right here, Matthew 1 verse 1 says that Jesus Christ is a son of David. Right, but the Ephraim Scepter people will go so far as saying that because in certain places... David is labeled an Ephrathite. Okay. That that means he's an Ephraimite. Okay. Right. Right. They, they they confuse those two words. They twist them, even though it's clear from the Book of Genesis. I think it might be chapter twenty-five or something like that, where where the ancient pre-Abraham pre-Abrahamic land of Bethlehem was called Ephrath. Okay. Right. Right. And they want to substitute that and twist that into Ephraim. Mm -hmm. Even though Ephraim, as a land and as a person, didn't even exist in the days of Abraham. Right, right, right. Yeah, and my understanding is that uh, I read an article a long time ago in which the author claimed that the town of Bethlehem in Judah 
was actually founded by uh, an Ephraimite, okay, which may be possible, you know, and, and maybe just a confusion of language here. Uh, you say the Ephra, Ephrata is uh, Bethlehem. Ephrata is the actual name given to Bethlehem in Judah. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's maybe where that confusion comes from. But that certainly doesn't mean that uh, we're talking about some other Bethlehem uh, in some other area of, uh, you know, of northern Palestine. Uh, is there any uh, indication that there was such a town named Bethlehem in northern Palestine? Well, in the King James Version, yes, there is. Okay. There is another place called Bethlehem. All right. And give me one second. Okay. Well, here, let me just, while you're looking, let me just quote from an article, uh, you know, contention by uh, one of these Joseph Scepter advocates. In John 7, 40, 52, we find a division of opinion among those hearing the Messiah speaking. The officers and Pharisees state that he cannot possibly be the promised Messiah because he is a Galilean. Okay, so we'll, we'll investigate the, whether or not Jesus is a Galilean or not. Uh, have you found that verse? Um, I, know, I know what verse you're speaking of very well. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. The, um, the, he was a Galilean by yes. citizenship. Right. The Jews loved to confuse citizenship and genetics. Yes. <laughs> he, was, he was born in Bethlehem of Judah, but he spent, well, I'm not going to argue about the missing 18 years in the life of Christ. Yes. He was born, he was raised in Nazareth. Yes. There's no doubt that he grew up in Galilee. Mm-hmm. And for jurisdictional purposes because he had spent all his life in Galilee and and yes the pilot really didn't want anything to do with him he wanted to push him off right to, uh, to Herod and Herod was the governor of Galilee at the time yes exactly so, so they looked for a way to send him to Herod right right which the Jews probably appreciated because then his fate would be in the hands of a of a fellow Edomite exactly exactly yes yes yeah, so uh so uh what about this northern town of Bethlehem? Did you did you find that uh was that is there a yes. okay. in the King James if you look at Joshua chapter nineteen, I think it's verse fifteen, it's nineteen ten through sixteen, some of the towns of Zebulun are are given and one of the towns in the King James version is Bethlehem. Okay. So it appears there's a Bethlehem in Zebulun, but not in Ephraim. Okay. There's a big difference there that the, the Ephraim Skeptor people miss. Yes. Yes. And, and again, we're going. This is a geographic argument, not a genetic one. Right. And it's right. genes that count a lot more than ge- that's, geography. That's right. That's right. Especially when it comes to roots yeah. of the Moabite in the right. first place. So, in now, other words, in, the, the, in they, the Septuagint, excuse me, in the Septuagint, the town isn't Bethlehem; it's Beth Maine. Okay. Beth Man. Right. It is. It is not. And Bethlehem may very well be a gloss. Yes. Yeah. eats. Yes. Okay. Okay. So the the mere fact, number one, the mere fact that there may have been another town called Bethlehem way up in the territory of Zebulon, which very very few people ever heard of. In fact, most people probably <laughs> this is the first time they've ever heard of it. The fact that we're talking about it, right? Very uh, obscure. Yeah, very obscure. That that town could be the the focal point of all of the activity of uh, Herod uh, murdering the children, etc., okay, under the age of two? Is there any possibility that that but, took place in that northern Bethlehem? That's extremely unlikely, yeah. and the town was never mentioned again. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And all of the other places that 
where, where Herod murdered the children, all, all the other, other places around this Bethlehem that we know about very well from all the rest of the scripture. Right, and it's over roughly it's only clearly ten, in the land of Judah. Exactly, and it's only roughly 15 miles from uh, Jerusalem itself. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. So now let's get back to John 7:40 through 52, where there was dispute about the uh, origin of Yahshua Messiah. Now, of course, as you pointed out. The Jews love to confuse genealogy with a territorial citizenship. The two are not the same. <laughs> and, and as you pointed out, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah of David, as the Bible repeatedly tells us. Even the, even the Canaanite woman acknowledged that uh, Yahshua was of David. And then uh, when she acknowledged that he was of David, he healed her daughter. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh so it's it's obvious that uh Jesus is of David. There's simply no doubt about that. Is there any possibility that uh David somehow uh was descended through Joseph? Well, that's that's one of the um ridiculous claims of some of the Ephraim Skeptic people, but they they can't support it. Mhm. Except with their perversion of their confusion of Ephrath and Ephraim. Right, right. There's absolutely no support at all for David being descended from Joseph. All the genealogies trace him to Judah. Mm-hmm, exactly. And, and, and that's how I, I've read it. I've never had any problem. And, of course, the, the, the I've always understood, you know, being a follower of Bertrand Compare and Dr. Wesley Swift, that the Jews are, in fact, Edomites and Canaanites and, and not Judahites. And so, since there is a separate proof existing that the Jews are not Judah, uh, this entire scenario that's created by the Joseph Scepter people is really unnecessary if they simply un- understood that point. Isn't that the case? Yes, and one and one big thing that, that the Ephraim Scepter people don't address, and and it's, it's very clear in 1 Kings chapter 12, is that David ruled the, 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 Ephra- the people of Israel initially mm-hmm. rejected David. They wouldn't have any part of him. Right. And and that includes Ephraim. Right. And David ruled over Judah alone for for his first seven years. Uh-huh. Now, yeah. if they were of the tribe of Ephraim, would they have rejected him and, and the tribe of Judah accepted him? No. No, that That's doesn't make sense. An awfully odd circumstance there. It would it would be. Yeah, it would be. Okay, so uh so let me quote here John uh, 42, and it says, The scriptures did not say the Messiah would come from the seed of David or the city of David. Uh, this is for quoting from this article. I think he's got this. Uh, I'll have to turn to uh, John 740 myself to see if he actually quotes this correctly. Well, but, he's not, because this is a rhetorical question. And uh, in the AD it reads, Has not the scripture said... That Christ cometh of the seed of David and of the town of Bethlehem where David was? Yes. So he's he's twisting the language here to make it appear as though it's a statement denying that Messiah would come from, from David. Well, that's all the Ephraim Skeptic people do is twist the language. <laughs> Everything they do, they twist Ephrath and Ephraim. Uh-huh. They twist Bethel and Bethlehem. Yeah. They, they try, I've read some of their writings where they, where they try to... Um, actually convince you that Bethel and Bethlehem are the same place. Right, right. And, and, okay, and they, well, they were doing that before they came up with the Bethlehem and Zebulun theory. Right. 
Okay, so uh, now I've found it here, and you're exactly right. It's in the form of a question, and it's a reference back to Micah 5.2. Has not the scripture said that Christ comes of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So they're asking this question. Yeah, well, uh, the scriptures say that the Messiah would have to come from Bethlehem as prophesied and would be of the seed of David as prophesied. Is, are these things not true of Yahshua Messiah? They are absolutely all true of Yahshua Messiah. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. all prophesied who he was, what seed. Uh, he's the branch and the stem yes. of the root and the branch of uh, David. Yes, yes. And now, it's very clear that David descended from Pharaoh's Judah. Right, right. The shepherd right. did not depart from Judah. Right, right. And so this is uh, another argument they make that the, if the... Because the, the, the prophecy says that the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. Now, Shiloh, uh, uh, I've looked up the uh, concordances, and they virtually all agree that Shiloh is a reference to the Messiah. Okay. Well, is, Shiloh, okay. Why, why does, I think they confuse it with that town. Right. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Doesn't Shiloh mean peace? Uh, well, I, I, one, according to one author, it means the word. Shiloh means word. Okay, so if Yahshua is the word, then he's also Shiloh. Okay, and so it were the, the word that we were anticipating as Messiah. Okay, and so it's, it's clear that the, the word Shiloh is a reference to the Messiah. Okay, whether he be of Judah or whether he be of Joseph, you know, that's, that's Shiloh. But the... Uh, the, the, the statement is, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. Now, isn't it true that in Judea, that the, the Judaic, uh, or I should say the Judahite lineage or the Davidic dynasty died out in Judea with the death of Yahshua Messiah? Well, it, but it, just in the land of Judah, you know, because we, we're, we know that Pharaohs and Zerah, and especially Zerah, uh, who also descended from Judah, are alive and well in Europe at the same time that this is happening in the land of Judah, correct? On the, on the surface, a, a lot of people have, have mentioned this, and I, I really have to address it. Okay. On the surface, a lot of people say, oh, the, the Davidic line in Palestine died out with Messiah. Mm-hmm. But we don't know if, you know, he had brothers. Yes. And and we don't know if Joseph's brothers had brothers and Joseph's uncles had brothers. Yes. You know, we're only given the line down to him, the the direct male-to-male descended okay. line. Okay, well. He wasn't really Joseph's son anyway. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But we don't know if, if these families carried on or not. I'm sure they did. Right. Oh, they, they absolutely did. They absolutely did. The Davidic line died with Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, if... If you die, your brother, and without sons, your brother becomes your heir. Right. Well, uh, the name escapes me, but Joseph was uh, Mary's uncle, okay? And upon the death of uh, Messiah, Joseph took Mary along with uh, Anne, I believe. Joseph of Arimathea, we're confusing two Josephs here. Oh, right, yeah, Joseph of Arimathea, exactly, right, sorry. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who was Mary's uncle, not husband. <laughs> and... Uh, Upon the death of Messiah, uh, Joseph of Arimathea took Mary uh, and Anna uh, to uh, Glastonbury, England. And uh, I believe it was Anna's daughter 
whose name escapes me at the moment. And her daughter married Yochai of uh, Ireland, who was, in fact, a descendant of Zerah. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Eli. You have a couple of different stories confounded. Okay. All right. So but, uh, you know what I'm getting at, though. That the, the, Hezekiah's daughters yes. 600 years before Christ. No, I'm talking about right after the death of Christ. Anna's daughter went to Britain with Joseph and married into the royal seed line that was already well established in, in Ireland. Well, somebody has some some um, some stories confused because okay. Jeremiah took Hezekiah's oh. daughters. Oh, yes. No, absolutely. And uh, that's important, too. And, uh, and this, you... is, this is much more historical. And any story about Mary being in Ireland and, and Anna's children is mm-hmm. is just a tale. It's a myth. I, okay. I've never seen any substantiation for it. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I report about it in my book, The Great Impersonation. It's uh, it's but part it's, of the, uh, the English and Irish chronicles that, that I'm aware of. But why don't you go back to uh, the Hezekiah's daughters, because we want to establish the fact that the jo- Judah scepter is alive and well in Europe. Oh, absolutely. And to, to understand that, we have to go back to Zara, mm-hmm. to Judah Zara. Yes. Um, I have a paper to, called um, Trojan Romanist, Troman Rojan Judah. Okay. That um, establishes that a Zara's descendants, not all of them, but many of Zara's descendants had departed from Egypt. Yes. Before the Exodus, they had departed from the main body of the Israelites. Yes. And they founded Troy. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And at the fall of Troy, which was really an Israelite civil war. That's right, it was. It was the Dan and Greek Israelites of the tribe of Dan against the Zara Judah Israelites of who became the Trojans. Right, right. After the fall of Troy, the the people of the Trojans were dispersed. Yes. And a lot of them went into Europe and became the Illyrians. Okay. And Justinian, the great emperor, is was a, of the stock of the Illyrians. Right. Okay. And, and that's just the one manifestation of Judah's scepter. Right. Now, notice um, too, yeah, that the Trojans also uh, migrated to Italy well, and right. founded they, Rome. They founded Alba Longa, mm-hmm. which was which was the Trojans were very close to another Semitic people in Anatolia, where Tro- where Troy was in modern day Turkey. Yes, who we know as the Lydians. Okay, okay, and the Lydians already had colonies in Italy, uh-huh. which we know as the Etruscans. Okay, okay, all, right? all the ancient accounts trace the Etruscans from the Lydians. Right. Right. So the Trojans being allies of the Lydians, it would be natural for them to flee to Italy. Yeah, yes. Where their allies, the Lydians, already had great connections. Yes. And they, Ahenius, the story is that Ahenius, a Trojan prince, took a great number of Trojans and founded a colony called Alba Longa, okay. which was actually just south of Etruria, the land of the Etruscans. Right. And from that grew the great city of Rome. And, and, and the Zulu tribe descended from them. <laughs> Sorry, I had to include that joke because there's the, the, the black Hebrews. But now, well, isn't it true? Isn't it true that Brutus, who was the actual founder of uh, the, the, the Brits, was one of these Trojans who went to Rome, okay, and wasn't he involved in the founding of Rome? Well, well, no. Brutus comes a couple of generations later, and later? he 
the tale is that he departed from Rome and founded a, founded a colony in in Britain that became London. That became London, right? Yes. It was, it was its original name was Care Troy, C A E R in the Gaelic, Care Troy, which means New Troy. Yes, that's something I I want to investigate that more. I only know that story from Virgil. Okay. Who who wrote a poem called the Aheniot? Right. Now Virgil's writings about Aheniot going to Rome, and and you know going to Italy and founding Albalonga, which became Rome. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Four hundred years later. Okay. Now that story that that's a prominent story in many ancient Greek writers. Okay. Okay, we find it in Strabo, we find it in Diodorus Siculus. It it can hardly be questioned, or we have to question the entire foundations of our civilization. It's in so many writers this year. Yes, right, right. And, and it's very credible when when you look at the Trojan allies, like I talked about the Etruscans, and and the situation at the time. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and the rise of Rome and the history of Rome falls right into the chronology very well. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so now, the story about connecting the um, the British of, of London, I can't say all the British because Britain right. was settled by many right. it was, Israelite it was, and other exactly. Adamites over at diverse times. Yeah, via the so-called Phoenician ships. The right. Israelites right. had already settled Britain many years, maybe possibly centuries, before Brutus arrived there. The, the people, the tribe that inhabited the area later known as London, mm-hmm. the early Romans called them the the Trinovantes, uh-huh. which appears to mean new Trojans. Yes. Okay, it appears to mean that, yes. which would lead credence, lend credence to Virgil's story about a colony of Romans sounding Troy. Yes. Or, yes. or any other colony of Trojans. Right, right. Um, that, that lends credence to that story. And if you read E.O. Gordon's book, it's available at Artisan Publishers. It's called Prehistoric London. Right. I have it here. I read it about eight or nine years ago. I want to read it again because it's been a long time. Yes. But that has it. It has a lot of archaeological support for mm-hmm. a Trojan connection with yes with with London at a very early time. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Now we have several people. Uh, who have been waiting patiently. If any of them, if any people online have any questions, uh, please uh, hold off for one second. I have one more uh, comment I want to address to Bill Fink here. Uh, somebody in the chat room uh, says that uh, Brutus was of Ephraim, and um, but we're t- we're talking about uh, Brutus uh, being of Judah. Now, is it Zerah Judah or Pharez Judah that the Brutus descended from? Zarajudah. Zarajudah. Okay. That whole Trojan line des- descended from Zarajudah. The the connections in the Bible are clear. Mm-hmm. They co- they cohere with what we know from from history and from the classics very well. Yes. I've summed it up in my pamphlet on Trojan Roman origins being from Zara. It's called Trojan Roman Zara. Okay. It's available right now on on my own website at christogenia.com in PDF format or on yes. israelelect.com in Clifton Emmerheiser's section. Right, right. And and they could go read my pamphlet, and then if they want to argue with me about Trojans and Ephraim, <laughs> right. that's yeah. fine, but they better come up with more evidence than I have about Trojans <laughs> and Judah. Right, right. And so uh, quickly, now the Pharez Judah 
Now, obviously, I gave the uh, genealogy of Perez in the book of Ruth, and showing that Yahshua Messiah is descended through Perez. Okay? Yeah. Now, isn't Zerah the prince of the scarlet thread? Yes, that's yes. Zerah, and, and Clifton Emmerheiser has written about that scarlet thread connection at yeah. great lengths. Yeah, and, and the Irish, don't the Irish still have that tradition of being the scarlet thread people? Yes, the Irish and the Scots have 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 folklore and, and traditions yeah. that that identify them yes. with Sarah Judah. Do you want to tell people uh, how that story came to be? Are you familiar with that? How? Well, at the birth of at the birth of Sarah and Sarez, who were twins, who, who were twins, evidently Sarah's arm came out of the womb first. Yes, and since they thought he would be first born. They tied a scarlet thread around that hand so that they would identify the firstborn. Right. Now, now this shows that race is a crucial issue yes. in, our, in our religion and our heritage because Er, Onan, and Shelah were all born by the Canaanite whore yes. and Judah. Yes. And none of them were counted as firstborn. Exactly. They were now, all now born before. Born they were born before Zerah and Ferris, too. Many years later, Tamar is giving birth to to these twin boys mm -hmm. and it's important to know which one's firstborn right because he would have the, the greater birthright. share of the inheritance right the birthright would go through the the firstborn yeah and it just shows that the bastard children are just excluded they're exactly. not even considered in a running they're excluded yes they're not even counted right and that's a biblical story that that many many well, the entire mainstream misses. Yes. It's, it's incredible how they ignore that story. So, so what happened? So the nursemaid or the, the midwife tied the scarlet thread around Zara's hand. the first wrist that she saw to yes. identify the firstborn. <laughs> okay. But then when the birth finally occurred, that child was, came out second. <laughs> right. So Farah's was born first. And then wasn't there strife between Farah's and Zara as to who should be the birthright son? Well, it, it's obvious that it was. I mean, it's not explicit in, right. anywhere in Scripture, but it's it's you can read between the lines and see that there definitely was. Yes, yeah. And even coming out of the, if you read the census, the census is coming out of in the Exodus out of Egypt. You'll see Zara mentioned, but you won't see any of his sons listed. Uh huh. And right. Pharez is is mentioned with all of his all of the various tribes of his sons. Right, because the gene genealogy of Yahshua Messiah is critical to understanding the scriptures. Right, and because I believe that in, to fulfill the prophecies of Israel's blindness that Yahweh yes. wanted to conceal from us, yes, that many of Sarah's sons had actually departed from the main body of Israelites. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so it's fascinating that these Zerah Judahites founded, in my opinion... And you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Troy, Rome, uh, Spain, uh, Carthage, uh, well, Alexandria. I, I, yeah, a lot ahead. of people try to credit Sarah Judah with the foundings of of, of colonies and and mm -hmm. things where prominent cities existed. But I wouldn't. The Carthage was clearly founded by. The tribes of Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali much later. Okay. The northern Israelite tribes who who were mistaken yes. as Canaanites because they were called Phoenicians by the Greeks. Right. I see. Okay. Um, that's a whole other long story. Okay. But definitely the, um, Troy and Rome, and many of the cities of Greece and uh, and the Italian peninsula were actually founded by Zerah Judah. 
Absolutely. And the, and the um, the presence their presence in Europe today among our own blood is is disguised because a lot of people don't realize that the Trojans and the the northern Israelite tribes called the Phoenicians the mo- from their colony in Miletus yes which was a very prominent city in Anatolia for for many many years yes and and here is a key to the the scepter of Judah okay if you read Strabo you'll learn and Diodor Siculus you'll learn and I quote this somewhere in in my essays on the subject, you'll learn that the Phoenician cities of Anatolia and, and Thessaly and the Danan cities early on were taking their kings from the Trojan princes. Uh-huh. Okay. The Carians, and, and these people can actually, I can trace them all back to the Israelites of, yes. of the Exodus, the Carians and, and other groups, the Colicians, they took their kings from the princes of the Trojans. Yes, yes. Recognizing, even though they were Danans and Asherites and yeah. of the other tribes, recognizing oh. that Judah had the scepter. Right, right. Okay, so and then in this case it would be Zerah Judah, not Pharaoh's Judah. Okay. Right. And yeah. these people also, after the dispersions of the Trojans and because of the colonization, the Malaysians undertook great colonization. Yes. Um, <laughs> towards, towards the end of the first millennium B.C., Right. They colonized much of the Danube River Basin and many of the other interior river basins of Europe. Yeah, now it's very interesting because there's a parallel history in Mesopotamia that follows the Pharez Judah line, namely that the Parthians and and those uh, tribes of Israel which uh, were dispersed from 745 B.C. and even to some extent earlier, that uh, the same thing happened there, namely the Israelites of the dispersion in Medea and Mesopotamia, took their princes and kings from Pharaoh's Judah. Under they yeah, understood that, that the royal line was of Judah. Absolutely. The um, I, I haven't I have not written it, but Herodotus talks about a group of royal Scythians. Okay. All right, and mm-hmm. a lot of those so-called royal Scythians became what the Jutes and and the Huns. Right. Well, the people that are labeled Huns, actually, yes, right. the Huns, yes. while some of the tribes called Huns were mixed with Orientals, yes. most of the Huns yes, were, were white, tall, Scythian men. Right, they're called the White Huns. Yeah, and exactly. they were as, as white as the, um, the, the Persians. Scythians and the rest of the Germans. <laughs> the the, the, the un- untanned Persians, they were almost as white as the untanned Persians. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, there, nothing gets whiter than a red-headed white person. <laughs> you know, their, their, their skin is almost transparent. So, so here we have the the, the working out in history of the both the Pharaoh's Judah line and the Zerah Judah line. The, it's obvious that the Israelites selected their kings and princes and queens from uh, these two branches of Judah. Isn't that simply the historical fact? Absolutely. That's that's been going on consciously or not. Mm-hmm. That that's been happening for for many many years. Yeah. The Trojans had always claimed to be a royal race. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when if you study the Middle Ages and and I've read read this in in mainstream scholarly books that the in the Middle Ages in the medieval period the kings of France and Germany claimed Trojan blood. Okay. The Zars right and the Kaisers. Yes. In order to establish their right to royalty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, isn't it, 
Yeah, now isn't it true that during the days of the Holy Roman Empire that the princes of Britain were acknowledged to be Trojans by, the, for example, the, the Roman emperors? Isn't that the case? Well, I, I, um, Constantine. I can't comment on that because it's past my general reading oh, period. Oh, okay. Well, Constantine <laughs> was the, the son of a British woman and, and a Roman man, okay? So, and Actually, both. Constantine the Great, his, his mother's father was um, Old King Cole. Old King Cole, <laughs> all <Yeah>. right. Okay. <laughs> his name was Colowin or Colowalder or something yeah. like that. Right. But O yeah. was the first syllable of his name. Right, right. So the Trojan connection uh, to Britain is acknowledged by the Romans in their own history books, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. And that, that starts with Virgil. Yes, and the, and the fact that the that the Roman emperors also considered themselves to be Trojans, when they realized that the Brits were Trojans as well, they had to acknowledge their right to ascend to the throne. But they still wanted to conquer them. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> like good brothers, right? <laughs> you may be my brother, but I want to conquer you. <laughs> and unfortunately, that's been the history of our people. We're be beating each other's brains out. And, you know, at the behest of the international Jew, when we should be trying to mend all these wounds. So, let's get back now to uh, Judea. I think we've fairly established that the royal house of Zarah and the royal house of Pharaoh's Judah survived in Europe to the present day. Absolutely. Okay. So, is there any hint, historically, that uh, the Joseph people, the descendants of Joseph, had any sort of share in these royal houses in becoming kings and queens of Europe? No, Judah was to hold the scepter, and, and history proves the prophecy. Okay. History proves that the prophecy was true. Right. Even Joseph himself, when, when he was the second in command in Egypt, he, he was the pharaoh, the vicar of the pharaoh, but he wasn't the pharaoh. Right, right, right. So, so what would you say then, because one of the major claims of the Joseph Scepter people is that Judah was so evil because he, and, and he, he did, he had a Canaanite wife, he bore three sons by this Canaanite wife, and since he did that, they claimed that he was so evil that there's no way that he could be the scepter bearer anymore, okay? Is there any hint that Joseph was, and the, and the descendants of Joseph are any better than the descendants of Judah. Absolutely not. Jer <laughs> Jer Jeroboam, wasn't Jeroboam, wasn't he the son of a harlot? <laughs> it could have been. The first king of Israel was the son of a harlot. Right, if right. You, it's in the scripture. Uh-huh. If you um, look at Ahab, married Jezebel. Right. Ahab married a Canaanite. Yes. And and he was the king of Israel. That's he, right. Isn't he guilty of the same thing? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Isn't Ahab not an Ephraimite? Right, right. So and and who's more evil than Jezebel? Yes, right. <laughs> Her name in in the Book of Revelation is synonymous with with fornication and with a whore. Right, right. So the idea and and this is where you know you know and again here the uh, the intention is good, you know. Well, okay, so Judah was so evil that he married this Canaanite woman, had three sons by her, but that does not affect the genealogy. Absolutely not. It mm -hmm. doesn't affect the genealogy. It um the you know it's it may seem sexist to say this, but I've had um I, I've always felt blessed because I had five sons and only one daughter. Okay. 
because you worry about the one daughter a lot more than you worry about the five <laughs> yeah, sons. Right. <laughs> yeah. What's going to happen to her? Who's going to take her and all that? Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. And it's a lot easier for a son to walk away from a mistake like that and to carry on the family line with a, with a proper, with an appropriate spouse. Right. Exactly. If, if you could reach him. Yes, yeah. And it's certainly true in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, those books clearly tell us that, uh, you know, we should not marry the sons. Our, our daughter should not marry the sons of the Canaanites and vice versa as well. Our, uh, you know, our, our daughter should not take Canaanite men for their husbands. So isn't it clear that, uh, you know, the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and virtually all the Bible clearly specify that we should not, um, you know, race mix with these other people? Well, in the New Testament, race mixing is called fornication. Okay. And Jude 7 defines that. Fornication is the pursuit or the going after of strange flesh. Strange flesh, right. And that word stra- strange is the Greek word heteros, which means other or different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Paul uses, a lot of people will insist that fornication is, is adultery or fornication is homosexuality. And in a way that's true because the definition of fornication is really any illicit or unnatural sex. Yes. But... Paul mentions fornication right along with adultery and homosexuality on several occasions. Yes. Okay. So it can't be synonymous right. with them. Right. So, he's, so in other words, he doesn't repeat himself unnecessarily. <laughs> right. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul refers to the to the liaisons between the Moabites and the Israelites as fornication. Right. Referring right. to Numbers chapters 24, 25, and 26. Yes. Yes. Okay. So let's get it, let's back. Uh, get back into Judah and and Judea. Now it's true that uh, and, and and if we believe the Bible, the Bible tells us that Yahshua Messiah was born in Bethlehem, and uh, and then Herod tried to have him killed, but uh, Joseph and Mary received word from an angel to flee so that Jesus wouldn't be killed. So they fled to Egypt, okay, for safety until until when. Well, until the death of Herod. Until the death of Herod, right. Okay. And, and when they returned, Scripture makes it a point to tell us that Joseph wanted to go back to his own land. Right. Judea. Exactly. But he didn't feel that it was safe, yes. so he went to Nazareth, okay. and he settled there. Yes, yes. So Nazareth was second choice, and it shows clearly that his homeland was Judea. Right, right. Okay, so this, so unless you twist these scriptures totally to pieces, <laughs> it, it's very clear that you know we're talking about Bethlehem in Judea, okay, and right. not some and other Bethlehem. And that's Matthew two verses twenty one to twenty three that I'm referring to. Okay, okay, all right. So now, so uh, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus wind up settling in Nazareth because it was just too dangerous to be in Judah at the time. Right, okay. and as Matthew explains, that fulfills another prophecy. He okay. should be called a Nazarene. Right, absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, so, so the life of Jesus totally fulfills all of these prophecies, <laughs> as given, and very clearly so. I mean, unless you make up a controversy, which is what I feel the Joseph Scepter people have done, they've made up a controversy which has really no basis in fact, and they've had to invent history, invent non-existent towns. <laughs> now, what about the so-called Jerusalem 
they they also believe that you know I know that there was a temple built in Shechem, which was in um, the the ten northern tribes. Okay, but wasn't that Shechem temple always uh, constant, uh, consecrated to to the Baal, uh, to the Baal pagan gods? It wasn't a real. You can't possibly consider that to be a second temple like the temple in Jerusalem, could we? The scripture is very clear that the temple in Jerusalem would be the house of Yahweh. Okay. That that, that shouldn't even be disputed. Yeah. This whole Ephraim Sketer thing shouldn't be disputed. It's a it's a shame, and and a re, it's a reproach that we even have to broach this topic. Right. It's necessary to be done. Yes. That these people be be confronted. But yes. And it's really a pity that it has to be done. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's for scholarship. And, and again, I want to say, you know, the motivation is correct. They they want to prove that Judah or that Jesus is not a Jew, <laughs> you know. But they, they go to great lengths because they simply don't appreciate the genealogies and the correctness of the genealogies that they've they've gone to these great lengths to to try to prove something that doesn't need to be proven. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They fail to distinguish between the Jews and Judah and and they blame Judah for that. It's right. Right, exactly. Exactly. So uh and you know, we've gone over that topic many times. I don't think we have to get into that. And we've been teaching on the part of Christian identity uh that is that the Jews are not Judah in any way shape or form. You know, and they and they simply use the word Jew to be an equivalent or a synonym for Judah when it is not. And so we don't have to accept their usage of words and terms. You know, we, we want to accept the truthful usage of words and terms. <laughs> okay. So now, so Yahshua Messiah settled in Galilee, and his hometown is Nazareth. Now, um, uh, we since we don't know much about the missing years of Jesus, although my guest, Next week is going to be Suzanne Olson. We're going to be talking about that to some uh, in some detail. Uh, so when when Yahshua finally came back from wherever he went to, wasn't one of his first acts to uh, when he read the scriptures in the uh, this was up in in Nazareth. It was not in Jerusalem. He he went first to the temple in Nazareth where he quoted, I believe, a verse in Isaiah um, about the coming of the Messiah, and then he closed the book, and he said, Today, Scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. <laughs> okay? That was like, he was declaring he was the Messiah. Okay? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and then the, 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 entire, the, the entire congregation went in an uproar. <laughs> <laughs> and they dragged him out of that temple and wanted to throw him over a cliff. They were so upset with him. Okay. Yes. yes. It would be like you or I coming into a, a Judeo-Christian church and saying, "I'm the Messiah." <laughs> They'd throw us out too, wouldn't they? <laughs> That's in Luke chapter four, by the way. Right. Right. Reading Isaiah sixty-one one and fifty-eight six, and then sixty-one two. Okay. Okay. He actually pulled one line. From the top of the scroll, perhaps. Right, right. And it, it's verbatim almost from the Septuagint. Yeah. Okay. And so Wait, John, and John Hagee, who wants to argue that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah, is absolutely wrong. <laughs> so, so now, uh, so Jesus now has reached the age of maturity. Uh, he had to wait to be 30 years of age before he could be a priest, because he is our king and our priest and our brother. 
and also the the founder of the Adamic race and the uh, and the uh the and born of the Adamic race, okay? Through Judah. So, uh was now we're, let's get back to this John 40 and 42. Now, obviously, the Judahites of Judah uh, the, in the land of Judea as distinct from the land of Galilee. And Galilee was the territory of the tribe of Benjamin. Okay? Most people, uh, you need to understand that Galilee was the tribe of Benjamin and Judea was the tribe of Judah. Okay? Well, that's for the most part true, and those those two territories are, in the time of Christ, identified in that manner. Yes. However, that doesn't mean that some Judahites can't live in Galilee and some right. Benjaminites can't live in Yes. In um, Judea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so, uh, but they were still considered the house of Judah. Those two tribes and those two territories together, at the time of Christ, are still considered as the house of Judah. Okay, because the two tribes house of Judah was the tribes of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. Okay. Right. Yeah. So now, so there is a, a this le- legitimate dispute here among the people saying, "Well, isn't it, they're saying, isn't it true?" That the Messiah should be should be coming from Bethlehem, Judah, through through David. Who is this Galilean that, that he should claim that, to be the heir of the Davidic throne? Right, but this is Jewish subterfuge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. It, it, they're trying to confuse geography with genetics. Yes. And they're also lying about scripture because. The scripture doesn't say that a prophet can't arise from Galilee, and Nahum the prophet did come from Galilee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so there's one example of of their being wrong. Right, and but and time you, and time again, the, the Jews prove that they don't know the scripture. Right, and, or they distort the, the scriptures deliberately. Yes, yeah. So, and then you just quoted the prophecy that the uh, Messiah would be known as a Nazarene. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's it's very evident, you know, that the the prophecies about uh, Yahshua Messiah have been fulfilled to the letter. And then how can you argue against these prophecies being so, so ter- you know, totally fulfilled? If I'm not mistaken, Nazareth, or no town like it, appears in the Old Testament. Okay. It's, it's, I can't say that it didn't exist. Right, right. But the, the Nazarites were a, a sect, well, that, I think that's in Numbers chapter 6. Right. Um, they were a, actually a religious, I, I have to call them a sect for want of a better word, sect yes. instituted by God. Exactly. By Yahweh. Yes. And and they had specific instructions on, on how to conduct themselves. Yes, yes. And they were special men for, for his purposes. A lot of the prophets were probably Nazarites. But the um, the town isn't recorded until the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Existence. Right, right. So it's obviously it became, uh, the town was established probably during the intertestamental period because it's not mentioned in the Old Testament at all. Right, which would make the prophecy that much more... Um, mm-hmm. Interesting. That much more prophetic. That's right. <laughs> yeah, because there was no such town. And, and yes, the Nazarites were a sect of uh, law keepers, mosaic law keepers, uh, who, you know, they had, you know, special haircuts and all that kind of thing. Right. Uh, yeah. A lot of people try to use that prophecy to um, to to claim that the apostles and Christ had practiced that the rights of that sect. Right. And but so it's, can't, it's... Right. It's not, right. Well, it's fairly it evident, though, that the town of Nazareth is named after those people. 
Okay. It very well could be. It's fair to assume that. But that does not make Jesus a Benjaminite or an Ephraimite or a Josephite, uh, as we're as we're explaining. He was a Judahite who had was forced to move up to Nazareth to get away from the the political persecution uh, that Herod instituted. Correct. Precisely. Yes. Yes. Okay. So when Jesus comes back from wherever he went to, uh, there is a legitimate dispute as to his Davidic claims. So we can't dispute that. I mean, that's that's in the right in the scriptures here that there were people challenging his right to claim the throne. And the Ephraim Skeptor people are still challenging it. Yes. <laughs> right. They can't deny him, so they just claim he came from Ephraim. Right. Right. And so, but then there, there's no prophecies uh, saying now. The prophecies do say that uh, the Messiah would be would come from Nazareth. He'd be a Nazarene. But again, that's not a genealogical statement. That's that's just a uh, a territorial statement. Well, the prophecy states that he'd be called a Nazarene, but it doesn't say why. Yes. Yes. And it doesn't really matter why. Yeah. That doesn't mean that it, that he's from Ephraim. Right. So so both the prophecies and the history are totally fulfilled. Uh, there's no evidence at all uh, that they have presented that refutes. Now, uh, let's take the other side of the coin here. You know, if you make a claim and you put evidence for your side of the story, uh, it's not good enough that, you, you know, you promote your story. You have to prove the other so, uh, story wrong. You know, is there any evidence that you're aware of that uh, suggests that the uh, Judahite lineage of Yahshua Messiah, as presented in the scriptures, that there's anything wrong with that? There's Luke and, and Matthew give different genealogies of Christ, and there's many explanations as to why that might be. Okay. And I, I, I lean towards the, the belief that Luke is actually maybe giving Mary's genealogy. Mm-hmm, yes. Okay, but, right. but doesn't explicitly state that. Right, right. Yeah, there's also evidence are. that there's also a, a theory that there was an, an adoption by a kinsman, and that the line is given through that kinsman. Right, which would and, be and a I Joseph. And I read that theory, and it makes a lot of sense. But to me, it really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I I'm not going to spend years studying the the obscure reasons why these two genealogies may be different. Right. As far right. as I'm concerned, in in my heart, they're both correct. Mm-hmm. Surely yeah. a logical explanation for it. Yeah. Even though I may not be able to vociferate it eloquently. Right, right. Well, no, I agree. I, I think that the Luke genealogy is through Mary, showing that uh, her lineage is through the house of David. Okay. And uh, and I don't know. If, I don't think the Joseph Scepter people uh, are disputing that. I'm not sure if they are or not. You know. Uh, uh, th- but they must. You know, if if uh, they would have to be it, disputing disputing both of the genealogies. Yes. Because they both trace Yahshua Christ through David through. And, yes. Uh, and Judah. From Judah. Yes. And so, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think the the genealogy of Mary, as given in Luke, uh, certainly uh, establishes the fact that she is a descendant of David through Judah. Okay, or, or through, uh, Judah through David, and uh, and Joseph also. Uh, I think uh, through Jeconiah, who was uh, who committed some kind of crime that uh, disqualified the house of Jeconiah from um, uh, you know the, the throne. Okay. I think you might be talking about Hezekiah, maybe. Well, yeah. Je- okay. No, I'm sorry, you are talking about Jeconiah. That's yeah. right. 
Yes. And Christ descended from Hezekiah, from right. Hezekiah's sons. Right, right. And so, so Joseph was of that lineage, but through, through Mary, uh, Messiah was absolutely qualified with, with no complications, uh, to be the, the Messiah of Judah and of Israel. Okay? So, absolutely. but, uh, that he was adopted there, thereby, by Joseph. <laughs> so as an adopted son, wouldn't he have the right to, uh, you know, and being a, a Judahite through, through Mary, wouldn't he be fully qualified to be uh, Messiah of Judah and, and David? Well, being, being the, the son of, of a virgin and uh-huh. having no earthly father, right. the ad- adoption by Joseph gives him the scepter. Right. Right. Okay. It gives him the lawful right. He he's the genetic son of Judah through mm-hmm. Mary. Yes. And he's the legal son right. of his father who descended from Judah through yes. Joseph. Yes. And that's how exactly how I understand it. And therefore he's fully qualified to to go on the throne. Okay. But then of course he was murdered and uh, was not able to uh, a- a- accede to the throne because he was killed before that could happen. So, but he fulfilled, and of course that's the purpose uh, of the second advent when he comes as the Lion of Judah, okay? And the, the scriptures clearly say that the Lion of Judah <laughs> will, I wrote an, yeah. I wrote an entire segment of Clifton Emma Heiser's Ephraim Skepter series uh-huh. of, of pamphlets. Um, number five was written by me to address the Ephraim Skepter people's twisting of Revelations 5.5. Okay, well, why don't you go into that then? And well, that... well, they they try to say that it doesn't say that Christ was the Lion of Judah. They oh. try to say that Revelations 5.5, that the Lamb overcomes the Lion of Judah. Okay. And, and they just made that up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because the Greek of Revelations 5.5 clearly states that the Lamb... Uh-huh. Yahshua Christ yes. is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Right. And and there is no when you get into Greek grammar and whether nouns are in the nominative case or the accusative case, and I have to go into all that to explain this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's no way that it could be saying mm-hmm. what these people say it says. Right, right. And it's but the right. lamb would be the first advent, and the lion of Judah would be the second advent, right? Isn't that absolutely the, yes? And and there's a um, if you want the real source of the Ephraim Skepter heresy, mm-hmm. we have to go to the Talmud. Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay, okay. In the Sukkah at 52a in the Sancino Talmud, yes, it says this: Our rabbis taught. The Holy One, blessed be He, will say to the Messiah, the Son of David, may He reveal Himself speedily in our days, ask of me anything and I will give it to thee. Mm-hmm. As it is said, I will tell thee of the decree, etc., that this day have I begotten me. <laughs> okay. Ask of me and I will give the nations for thy inheritance. Now I'm still quoting, mm-hmm. but when He will see that, the Messiah, the son of Joseph, is slain. Uh, he will say to him, Lord of the universe, I ask of thee only the gift of life. <laughs> now, this is from a rabbi mm-hmm. in, in the Sancino Talmud. Um, Masterit Sukkah, S-U-K-K-A-H, 52A is okay. the citation. All right. And it shows 
the, the true Messiah theory, <laughs> one being from Joseph and one being from Judah, from uh-huh. David, is a Jewish conception yeah. of the rabbis in the second century A.D. Yeah, who totally reject the genealogy of Jesus Christ as given in the scriptures. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. They try to say that there's a suffering Messiah who <laughs> comes from Joseph <laughs> and a conquering Messiah who yeah. comes from Judah. Oy vey, <laughs> the suffering Jewish Messiah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and this is a Jewish conception. Uh-huh. And I, I believe that the, the people behind the Ephraim Skepter heresy in Israel identity have adopted this. Yeah. To, to their own uses. Right, right. And they, they, again, so they're, in other words, in a very similar way, the Antipolians have taken Jewish bait and run a the, mile with the bait. <laughs> the Ephraim Skepter people have done the same thing. Right, in right. In a different topic. They, they, exactly. And so they've taken the Jewish bait and they, and they run circles around Scripture trying to prove themselves correct when all they're really doing is uh, trying to elaborate on a Jewish conception. Right. Yeah. Now, the information that I just read from the Talmud is available at IsraelElect.com mm-hmm. in Clifton Emmerheiser's essay, The Ephraim Skepter Heresy, Part 6. Right, right. Okay, all right. Very good. Well, here, uh, why don't you give people uh, the contact information uh, for your website, uh, and uh, because that's about all I have on the subject, uh, unless you have more uh, to offer uh, from the notes that you've prepared. Uh, why don't you first give people uh, your, your contact information, the fact that you have a, a full translation now of the entire New Testament. Uh, you've translated the works of Paul and Luke, etc., etc. So let people know about that. Yes, I've translated the entire New Testament, and I hope I'm going to put it online in stages, and the first stage will go up within the next two weeks, and it will all be up by the month of March. Okay. Um, I have to. I have some proofreading to do. I have to convert the Word documents into HTML and make them look pretty, because I'd rather put my translation up as as HTML documents mm-hmm. rather than as PDF documents. Right. Yeah, they're easier to use. Yeah. Yeah. People can distribute them easier. Yes. And I hope to do have all that work done over the next six weeks. Actually, I've been working on it for a couple of weeks on and off when I'm not proofreading for other people. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. And so what's the website address? My website is Christogenia, which means anointed race or, or race of Christ. Okay. Either way, dot org, O-R-G, it's C-H-R-I-S-T-O-G-E-N-E-A. Okay. Dot org. Christogenia dot org. Okay. Yes. And then uh, a lot of your articles are also available uh, through uh, the Israel Elect website. Well. Israel Elect dot com, yes. Um, I-S-R-A-E-L-E-C-T. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. A lot of my articles are under Clifton Emmerheiser's section on that website. Okay. All right. So, so you have a long track record of translating uh, the the Holy Scriptures, especially the New Testament, and confronting the antinomians who believe the law has been abolished, and the universalists who believe that the Holy Scriptures were intended for the whole world and not for Israel exclusively. Correct? Isn't that? The, the Absolutely. Of the I started studying. I started studying Greek in a in a captive environment in 1998, and I had not much else to do but study Greek and the scriptures and and do my translations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I worked on my Greek study. I, I mean, Greek. I can never really say that I know Greek because it's a 30 year study. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend 
right. know everything, but but I've studied Greek for ten years solid, and and I still read Greek. I try to read a chapter mm-hmm. uh, from the New Testament just to keep it up at least a couple of times a week. Right, right. <laughs> and and just to to stay yeah. current and to keep it fresh in my mind, which yeah. is difficult at yeah. times, but. Right, and so and it's fascinating to me that you know the approach that I use, and since I'm not conversant in Greek like you are, I can't read a line of Greek, but I can use a concordance, and I have uh, several reference works of, of various authors, uh, you know, encyclopedias, dictionaries, etc. And consulting those authors, you can find out that the true meaning of words that have been mistranslated in the King James and other modern versions. Okay, and so and using that technique. I have come to exactly the same conclusion that you have, that Paul is not a universalist, that Paul is not an antinomian, that he is a covenanter. Wouldn't you say that's the case? Um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I see a comment on the forum, Israel elect is anti-Paulian, and that's not true. I know the the person who's the proprietor of Israel elect. Okay. And he he's a... A very solid Israel identity adherent, and he is not anti-Paulian, and he is not antinomian. Okay. However, his philosophy is to post papers from the various segments of Christian Israel identity uh-huh. in order that people get to see the various arguments presented okay. by the various sects among us. Yeah. Yeah. And let's face it, Israel identity is more segmented than. Than yeah. mainstream Protestantism is. <laughs> probably true. It's incredible. Yeah. One thing we do agree on is that the Anglo Saxon Caucasian people are Israel. <laughs> right, but that's not all we agree on. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yes, all, all of my writing is definitely not anti Paulian. Clifton mm-hmm. um, Emmerheiser is, is a big supporter of, of Pauline. He's not anti Paulian. Right. And all of our writing is posted on IsraelElect.com. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, by the way, I've, uh, my. Uh, I've been booted off my computer, so I, I can't see the screen anymore. And so we're just continuing this conversation, you know, by phone, although it will be recorded. You know, I can't see the chat room. So uh, whatever you see, I can't see right now. Uh, so, so very good to, for, to make that clear to people. So uh, now, since I can't, I'd have to actually turn my computer off and, you know, get back on to see that. So uh, I'm not going to bother. Uh, do you have any more points uh, about the Joseph Scepter heresy that you want to address before we conclude this show? No, I'm sure there'll be questions and, and there'll be people taking stabs and what about this and what about that mm-hmm. and, and twisting right. things the way that the Ephraim Scepter people twist them. But mm-hmm. I, I'd be willing to address that in the future or, or yeah. to debate anybody yeah. on this issue. I don't. Yeah, and, and I would encourage anybody who's been of that opinion, you know, for some time or just just new to it. If you have an assertion or a question or a comment, uh, please address them to either me or Bill. Uh, my email address is eli-james at sbcglobal.net. And, you know, if you have a question or comment or, or think, you know, there's an aspect of the Joseph Scepter theory that you believe is correct, uh, just let us know and, you know, we can talk about it. That's what we're here for. <laughs> okay. And and I'm sure the same is true for you, Bill. Uh, you know, if you don't want to give out your email address, I can always forward these uh, questions to you. Well, my email address is it's, I can be reached by email right on my website. I oh, have okay. a link, just um, info at christogenia.org. Okay, all right. There's yeah. a link right at the bottom of my webpage, yeah. my blog and my email address. Right. Uh, 
So as is true of all scripture, we have to study to show ourselves approved and, uh, you know, and, and, and debate these issues in a calm, rational manner, <laughs> you know, without calling names and throwing mud at each other, and, and et cetera, et cetera. And once, once we establish that kind of dialogue, uh, you know, we, we can continue as brothers and proceed because the real enemy is the international Jew, those Edomites who claim to be Judah and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan, okay? And so, uh, you know, we need to put the squabbling behind us as much as we possibly can and uh, get on with the work of building the kingdom. Uh, I'm always reminded, uh, you know, when I was reading the New Testament in order to include, you know, the historical information in my book, The Great Impersonation, uh, one verse really struck me uh, where uh, Jesus says, if you go to the temple to offer a sacrifice, and you remember that you have something against your brother, put down that sacrifice, go make peace with your brother, do that first, and then come back to the temple and offer your sacrifice. So in other words, he puts a priority on brotherly love. Absolutely. Above, you know, the, you know, we can, we can debate the scriptures, we can debate the law, but the, the essence is that love one another. And if we're not doing that, we're not fulfilling the law, are we? Absolutely. And a lot of people in, in Israel identity won't even talk to people that have they have minor disagreements with. Right, right, um, yeah. For my own part, there's only two places where I draw the line that I won't talk to anybody, and that's with somebody who denies Yahshua Christ. Okay. And somebody who promotes the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is race mixing. Okay, okay. That's the unforgivable sin. Right. So, so in other words, yeah, and, and, and the Bible clearly says, he who denies the Son denies the Father, and uh, you know, and so we have to make sure. And, and the, who, who is the, who is it denying? Who are the people today denying both the Father and the Son today? <laughs> the people that would told her the Antichrist. Yeah, those are the real enemy of, of true Israel. Exactly, yeah. and they're the ones who are claiming to be Israel to confuse us all. Right, right. And so, and 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 who promotes race mixing the most? The those. Jews. Those same people, <laughs> right? Absolutely. So you won't talk to those in people. Forum asking me that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is race mixing, mm-hmm. and, and I'd like to take a minute to discuss that. Surely. The the word holy, okay, mm-hmm. is from the Greek word hagios, and the Greek word hagios means separated and devoted to the purposes of a god. Okay. In the case of Israel, that god is Yahweh. Exactly. Okay, and the people of Israel were told, and this is in the New Testament in Peter as well as the Old Testament. Yes, and it's in Paul. It's throughout two Corinthians chapter six and several other chapters in Paul. Mm-hmm. Thou shalt be a holy people, mm-hmm. a separate people, right? A separate nation. Now, when you mix your race, you're not being a separate nation. That's right. You're blaspheming, yes. blaspheming the spirit of of separation. Yes. Which, which is the Holy Spirit. Yes. It, it's, uh, and a lot of people are going to argue because we're told that Yahshua Christ is the Holy Spirit, and that's true. Mm-hmm. But we have a Holy Spirit in, in various aspects here. Yes. Yeah. The spirit of, of separation, the spirit right. of sanctity. Yes. Well, it's part I, of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and I, as I've been arguing in, in my writings, that Holy Spirit is contained in our genetic code. Thou shalt be holy as I am holy. Mm-hmm. And we were told to be 
holy, meaning being separate. being separate from the non-Adamic races, yes. and devoted to the purposes of God. Yeah, so and blas- right. race mixing is definitely blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, yeah. and yeah. race mixing is the whole is the unforgivable sin. John yeah. says there is a sin that that can't be forgiven. I dare not say what it is. Yeah. Jeremiah <laughs> says that I've planted a noble a noble vine, and now I've become a strange fruit unto me. Though I wash thee with nitre, I, I can't make you clean. Isn't that what Paul means when he says, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers? Yes, he's saying, don't be hooked up with aliens, yes. with, with non-white people. Yes. Now, isn't that word unbelievers there also mistranslated? Well, unbelievers is mistranslated, yes, because it's an adjective. It's not a noun. Okay. In the Greek, it's an adjective. It's untrustworthy, and it the adjective modifies the people you're not supposed to be yoked with, the aliens. <laughs> okay, right. Untrustworthy aliens. Okay. Aliens without the, the faith that we have. So be not unequally yoked with untrustworthy aliens would be the correct translation. Yes. Is that how you have it in, in your translation now, or is that something that you realized just recently? No, that's something that's actually in my translation. It's in your translation. When I translated 1 Corinthians in probably about 2001, uh-huh. it's, I'm going to have to open up my translation because yeah, yeah. ashamedly I don't have my own translation memorized. Right. So, uh, so uh, But along those lines, uh, what we've been discovering in analyzing the, uh, the original Greek, whether you do it uh, as conversantly as you are capable of or whether you just use the concordances, it's it's fair to say that the King James Version cannot be properly understood or appreciated unless you have access to the Greek definitions of these words and how, how they're to be properly used and uh, in comparison to how they're being used by the universalists. Okay. Absolutely. The concordance is good. A a um a secular lexicon like Liddell and Scott with the concordance is even better. Mm-hmm. But the concordance. You, you have to watch. You have to be careful with the concordance. I wouldn't found any doctrines because yeah. I I read a word's definition in a concordance, and and this is why because with a concordance it does not show you the parts of speech. Oh, okay. And yeah. without parts of speech, it's hard to tell exactly how a word is being used. Right. So so sometimes they'll confuse a noun for an adjective, as you're saying is the case here, and uh, you really can't get that from the concordances. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. My yeah. translation of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. Now, now this is something I, I'd like. If you have a minute, I'd yeah, like no, to talk about something here. Yes. All right. 614, it says, Do not become yoked together with untrustworthy aliens. Mm-hmm. For what participation has justice and lawlessness? Right. Race mixing is lawlessness. That's it's right. It's a violation of the law of kind after kind. Yes. Yeah. And what fellowship has light towards darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial or yeah, Belier? Exactly. Now, let me talk about that word for a second. That word, Belial, if you study the concordance, has is related to the idea of something that's been mixed and therefore is worthless. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay, if we look up the Hebrew meanings, not the Greek, because it's a Hebrew word being used by Paul in the Greek, Belial basically means something mixed and therefore worthless. Uh-huh. Very and good. Readily and well-established from the from the Strong's Concordance, examining the definition of Belial and the, the adjacent Hebrew words mm-hmm. that, 
that are basically the same word in different grammatical forms. Right, right. And and even the imagery of being unequally yoked, because that that takes us back to the image, for example, of yoking an oxen and a horse to the same yoke, to the same Absolutely. carriage. Absolutely, and that's what Paul's referring to when he uses that word, because that's the word yeah. that was used in Leviticus 19.19 in the Greek version of right. the scriptures so if to, you, to yeah. describe that same thing. Yeah, so if you have... A, one person of one race and another person of another race, uh, there's, it's, not, it's, not, it's just not going to work. You have to have two persons of the same race <laughs> pulling that pulling that cart because uh, you know, one, one, if they're not, one's going to get tired first, one doesn't have the same stamina, one's not as fast. It just ain't going to work, is it? Right. Now, mm-hmm. if, if I may continue here, yes. in, in 615 of 2 Corinthians, and what accord is Christ with Belial, or what share the faithful with the faithless? Yes. No non-Israelite can claim to have our faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what agreement has a temple of Yahweh with idols? Yes. Now, a lot of people might think that uh, I'm going off the deep end here, but I'm really not, and I can establish this, and okay. some of my writings have established it. The Judah married, in Malachi, I think it is, told tells us that Judah married the daughter of a strange god. Okay. The other races descended from the fallen angels mm-hmm. who wanted to be worshipped as God. Right. And right. they had children here. Yes. And the mm-hmm. serpent of Genesis 3 came from those children. Right. And they're called and, Canaanites. <laughs> and the sons of heaven, which is the proper reading in Genesis chapter 6, right. came from those people. Yes. And, Absolutely. And that is where Paul, that's Paul's making this connection. I could show to demonstrate that he makes it elsewhere, such right. as like explosion, yeah. especially. Right, right. Well, then, uh, yeah, go ahead. One thing that has to be stood is, understood is whenever Paul quotes or any New Testament writer quotes from the Old Testament, we should go back to the Old Testament and examine yes. what's being quoted and what context it's in. Yes, yes. And Paul goes on to say, For you are a temple of the living Yahweh, just as Yahweh has said. I will dwell among them, and I will walk about, and I will be their God, and yeah. they will be my people. Right. And if we go back to the Old Testament and see where that quote came from, that's being spoken to the children of Israel. Yeah, and nobody about else. the children of Israel. Yes. And yeah. then it says, on which account, come, and this is my translation I'm reading of 2 Corinthians. Yes. Come out from the midst of them and be separated. Mm-hmm. And do not be joined to the impure. Yes. And I will admit you. Yes. And and that in, do not be joined to the impure is a reference back to the same, right. the, the untrustworthy aliens and, and right. those that are the faithless and the children of the the false gods or, or yeah. the non, non-Adamic people. Yeah. No, yeah. This is all one contiguous idea here yeah. that Paul is presenting. Isn't it He's true? He's not making disparate comments that, that are unrelated to each other. Right, right. Now, isn't it true? Isn't it true that that even that has been? Uh, don't, I don't have the King James in front of me, but I recall that it's translated as "touch not the unclean thing." Right, and they add the word "thing." The word add the word "thing" to make you think it has a neuter, a neuter connotation when it doesn't. Right, but the the act in in actuality come out from among them mm-hmm. and be impure refer to the same entity. Yes. <laughs> right, exactly. So it can't be a thing. Yes. Because it's a, a thing people. can't be a them. It's a people yes. that we know as Jews. 
Right. Absolutely. Yes. So any white woman who marries a Jew is doing the exact opposite of what the Judeo-Christians teach them to do. They encourage race mixing, and the scriptures are clearly telling us that we should not. It's, you know, I grew up I grew up two miles from the World Trade Center. Okay. Right across the water in Jersey City. All right. And I, I, I mean, New Jersey, it's called the Garden State because there's a rose in bloom on every street. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the land of the Jews. That's right. <laughs> and, and there's maybe a million Jews in North Jersey and, and maybe another million in, in yes. Long Island. Right. And even more in, in uh, right, in New York City. <laughs> on every block, in every neighborhood, they are at the vanguard yes. of race mixing. Exactly. Exactly. They they get white people to perceive them as being white, mm-hmm. and then they go out and set bad examples. Right, right. And, and it's of course, it's not conscious. Mm-hmm. It's, it's their genetic code. It's what yes. they do. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and, you know, and obviously, the, but the rabbis do consciously promote that. Yes, the rabbis yeah. do consciously promote it, and, and there's a lot of vociferous Jews that we find in the ACLU and, mm-hmm. and ADL right. that that promote segre- inter- integration and race mixing yes. purposely, and, and it's even their vocation to promote that. That's right. It's their life purpose, yes. I'm talking about the non-religious Jew in the street that yeah. you just look at, oh, there's a white guy. Yeah. Oh, look. Oh, look, he's with that Puerto Rican girl. What's up with that? Right. He doesn't identify with the white race, though. He identifies only with his Jewishness. Well, right, but the white people think they're white. That's right, and it's not. Right. You see the Jew in the street, and, and most white people will look at him and think, oh, right. there's another white guy. Yeah, so people have asked me, you know, well, how do, how do you identify one of these race-mixed Jews who looks white, and you can't really tell the difference between him and, and a, a regular white person, I said, well, Jesus says, by their fruits shall you know them. <laughs> right. Even, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Even if I can't tell one, and occasionally you, I, I knew a few with blonde hair and blue eyes. Right. And and occasionally you really can't tell them apart. And some of them may have actually been adopted in the jury by the right. way. Right, right, yes, yes. But it it doesn't take long talking to them. Usually <laughs> I expose them in a minute or two. Yeah, right, right. It, it doesn't take long at all if you can't tell by looking mm-hmm. at them. They have a different spirit, don't they? Absolutely. Yes, yes. It's it's called the the spirit of lies, <laughs> and we have the spirit of truth. And so there's, there's no doubt. Yeah. There's no doubt that that everything we're taught in the New Testament about spirituality and behavior is is directly connect, connected to genetics, and yeah. and it can be told. Yes. Once you're aware of it, it's not hard to tell at all who mm-hmm. to stay away from and and right and not to right. And so contrary to the clear admonitions of Scripture to stay away from those people, the Judeo-Christian churches are telling us to do the exact opposite, to mix with them and follow them. And in other words, follow the devil right to perdition. Right. This is a paper on my website, Should Christians Embrace the Jews, in, mm-hmm. in which I demonstrate that we, the Bible, the New Testament, tells us absolutely to stay away from them. That's right. That they're no good. Make no covenant with them. The Bible clearly says, do not make any covenants with Canaanites. And right. so that's what we're doing. Even the New Testament tells us those who deny Christ are, are to be excoriated. That's right. Now, for a thousand years, they were excoriated. Yes. And that's the millennial reign of Revelation. Okay. And and with the Enlightenment, Satan was let out of the dungeon. That's right. 
Right. Yeah, it was the now, Napoleonic Wars, yes. And now is deceiving the whole world. Yes. This mm-hmm. this is all prophecy that has come to pass. Right. And if you don't know the difference between Jews and Israelites, you can't understand it. Absolutely not. You'll yes. never understand it. That's right. <laughs> well, Bill, I think we've covered the subject pretty thoroughly, and we're just about into the end of the two hours anyway. So uh, I want to thank you very much. Uh, this, uh, you know, whenever we discuss scripture, you know, on a particular topic, you always bring in the rest of scripture with it, you know, because it is one piece. The Old Testament and the New Testament are one document. They confirm each other. They do not contradict each other. And where it appears to be so, it's only because of bad translations. Wouldn't you agree that's the case? Absolutely. Christianity is Hebrewism after Christ. Right. Hebrewism, the religion of, of well, Mosaicism or whatever you want to call yes. it. Yes. The religion of Old Testament Israel, that's Christianity before Christ. Yeah. And so it's when all the, one religion. So when the Jews try to tell us that Christianity is a, uh, has Judaism to thank for its existence, what do you say to that? Well, one of the early church fathers said that he wrote in his epistles, I think it was Ignatius, mm-hmm. in his epistles to the Magnesians. Okay. And and this can be found in, in a publication called The Lost Books of the Bible and, and The Missing right. Books of Eden. Okay. On artisan publishers or, or anywhere else, the book is, is widely right. published. Right. The, he, he admonished us not to name Christ and to Judaize. Right. For Christianity didn't come from the Jewish religion, but the Jewish religion came from Christianity. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly the other way around. They, they distort the history the to make themselves century. look good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The churches, the the mainstream churches, have all lost their roots. They've lost them centuries and centuries ago, and and there's no redemption for them. No, there isn't. They're lost. They're totally lost. Yeah, they're they're victims of the grain, the great delusion. That Paul talked about in Second Thessalonians chapter two, they have been deluded by false doctrine, and therefore or teach uh, doctrines that are actually antagonistic to what the Bible actually teaches, and they don't know it, they don't understand it, they've been simply hornswoggled. <laughs> we but, should probably discuss two Thessalonians two at, uh-huh. at length one day because Paul's actually talking about the people sitting in the temple at his time, right, mm-hmm. and telling us that that they're the devil. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's what he's saying. To, and then he says that in the King James, it says that not every man has faith. Mm-hmm. I think in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Thessalonians 3 5, I think, or 3 2, or right around there. Yes. And it's part of the same discourse. And, and it says, for not every man has faith. And Paul's not saying that. Paul's saying, and the faith is not for all. Right. Right. Is what the Greek says. Right. Yeah, and then Matthew chapter 15 also affirms where Jesus, where um, the apostles asked him, you know, why do you teach in parables? And his answer was, because I don't want them, the followers of the scribes and Pharisees, to understand what I'm saying. Absolutely, and when you read Paul's Greek, he, Paul follows that 100%. Yes, exactly. But of the course, church has perverted his, his, the translation. Yeah, they reversed it. They, they yeah. say he because he wants everybody to understand it. <laughs> it's it's simply incredible how the Judeo Christian world has butchered, absolutely butchered the Holy Scriptures in very much the same way that the Masoretic Jews have butchered uh, the Hebrew text. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Bill. I, I think we've covered the subject fairly well today. Uh, thank you for being my guest once again. Uh, as always, look forward to having you on. Um, you know my, my Saturday night shows. 
but next Saturday night, uh, I will be uh, doing a show with Pastor Don Elmore, and we're going to be talking about how secular humanism has taken the place of Christianity in the modern world. Uh, so I invite you to tune in next Saturday night for that. And then next Sunday, my guest will be Suzanne Olson, and we're going to be talking about the fact that Buddha was actually a Saxon, not an Oriental. Okay? So that's Absolutely. A, that should be great fun. I, I should send you some material from um, Dr. George Moore's book. He wrote that in 1872 in Britain. Okay, yeah, please do, because I'm not aware of that, and uh, I'm sure Suzanne would love to f- hear about that, too. There was okay. also a um, a Bonds Review article on that from a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. Okay, very good. All right. All right, uh, thank you, Bill Fink. And, uh, thank, thank you. The pleasure's all mine, Eli. Uh, Praise Yahweh. Uh, yeah. Praise Yahweh. And bye-bye. For, for, and bye-bye. And uh, everybody listening, uh, please... Uh, you know, be sure to access the uh, archives of uh, the, the Yahweh's Covenant People Show, where we have been discussing the, uh, the books of Galatians and Hebrews in great detail, proving that Paul is not a, a universalist and he's not an antinomian. He is basically a true Israelite, preaching the true scriptures as presented. Okay, it's, it's his it's translators who have butchered a lot of the terminology in many cases, reverse the subject and object of various sentences to make it appear that he's a universalist, and it's not the case. And, and as we've been talking about today, in terms of the Joseph Scepter theory, the Bible is true as stated. And when we investigate the actual history of the, the Bible, we find out that there's no problem, there are very few contradictions, and those contradictions have come about because of false translations. And so I thank you very much for listening again today. Uh, please join me next um, next Friday night also. I'll be on with Sword Brethren and then for next weekend's shows as well. Okay, Yahweh bless everybody. Have a good day. Bye-bye.